You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your host, Ben Goats. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey, even though there is not a lot of hockey happening anymore. We are down to the final two teams in the NHL, but there's still so much going on behind the scenes, especially when it comes to the Golden Knights. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I, of course, am Ben Goats, your review journal Golden Knights beat writer, doing another solo pod as we figure some things out uh, in the summer, but so excited for uh, the show we got for you today. We're going to talk about the Golden Knights prospects because I did a large feature on that last week, kind of breaking down how guys different seasons went and kind of where the overall farm system stands with the Knights and especially in comparison to the rest of the NHL. Uh, Also got to talk about obviously some coaching carousel stuff. Uh, Still not really spinning all that hard. The Golden Knights uh, obviously have not hired a new coach yet and really no one else has. Uh, So we'll get into that. Uh, The one interesting part is that while uh, not a lot of people have been hired so far, uh, a very interesting name was actually fired last week and then wound up on the uh, coaching carousel. And I think that's going to be an interesting name for the Knights to explore. So we'll get into uh, all of that. But before we get going, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. We are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. And we are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, make sure to uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. And, of course, go to ReviewJournal.com for all our written content. Um, as I said, if you want uh, more about the Knights kind of totality of their farm system and their prospects, I got a story on that that went up uh, last week. We're obviously not going to be able to touch on every single person that I got into and got quotes on. Uh, for that story here on the podcast then it was take way too long so if you want a deeper dive go there i also did an update on the uh kind of coaching carousel and where the coaching market stands uh for monday's paper so you can look at that as well like i said we're going to go over some of the points i made there on today's show as well Um, but i did want to start with some prospect talk because i think in the summer that's what everyone kind of you know now wants to reset And get into a little bit of like where are the young players in this system for the Knights. I think there's definitely a feeling that, hey, as this team, you know, obviously gets older and more expensive with all the kind of the high priced talent they have. People are wondering, okay, well, where's the next wave kind of coming up? Where are the hopefully younger and cheaper players that could help supplement this roster and potentially push it uh, forward in a way that is necessary because the Knights obviously are pretty cap-strapped and don't have a lot of money to bring in outside NHL help from other organizations in right now without cutting uh, severely back on their roster. So uh, the good news, if you are the Knights and you're kind of addressing this problem, is there are a lot of names that you have kind of in your farm system that played in Henderson this past year that you could see taking on NHL roles next season, including a lot of guys that the Knights did see. Uh, in NHL roles last season. Obviously, you're talking about like the Jake Lecisions, the Jonas Ronbiergs of the world. Those guys played significant roles. Daniel Miramanoff got 11 games. Those are guys that you could see fulfilling you know, either depth or bottom of the lineup roles for not that much money um, next season. But in terms of kind of 
you know, bigger impact guys, guys that you're hoping to really take on a significant role while still being on an entry-level contract, you're not quite sure that those kind of guys are there. And that's a product of, A, obviously the Knights have traded out a lot of their top prospects. The first four first-round picks in team history have all moved on to other organizations. Obviously, Cody Glass uh, traded to Nashville. Nick Suzuki traded to Montreal by the Max Pacioretty trade. Eric Ransom sent to Ottawa. Mark Stone trade. Then Peyton Krebs who entered last season as the Knights' top prospect. And we even did a full podcast with Krebs, kind of talking about his journey uh, to the NHL last training camp. He got moved in the Jack Eichel deal. He is now a Buffalo Sabre, part of their uh, young core. So the Knights don't have, obviously, those guys, you know, kind of higher upside guys ready to jump in and make an impact necessarily. There are, obviously, some re- some other first-round picks and some high the talented guys that they have, but I don't know if you're going to, you know, if you're the Knights this off season and you're planning bet on those guys making a huge impact uh, next season. And we can get into why in a little bit. So just to overall look at the Knights farm system, it was uh, ranked 17th uh, entering the year by elite prospects. That was with uh, Krebs, as I mentioned, as the number one guy. So obviously I expect the next time elite prospects comes out, uh, with their rankings, that that's going to take a hit. Uh, the Athletic did some midseason rankings in January. The Knights were 22nd there, and I wouldn't expect them to really take a jump uh, forward as things kind of come around to this fall because a big reason why teams take a jump forward is they add more talent, and the Knights don't have a first-round pick this year as part of that Eichel trade as well. So it was 22nd midseason by the Athletic. Uh, don't necessarily see that being better. So the Knights are in position where they have an okay, uh, but not great farm system. They are not near the kind of bottom of the barrel where they're just kind of completely barren of talent, where you're in the kind of Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston uh, territory where all those teams have almost, you know, nothing coming up at this point, which makes sense, right? Those teams have been in Stanley Cup contention for a number of years. They've often traded draft picks in order to add talent to their roster at the trade deadline. Thus, you wind up with a pretty depleted farm system. Uh, the Knights are not there yet, even though they actually have traded away a lot of draft picks and prospects. And that's just mainly because they got such a haul from the expansion draft that their war chest was just so full that they lost a lot and still have, you know, somewhat of a decent stockpile of assets. Like I said, it's not great. It's below average by NHL standards. But for a team that, uh, up until this year, had been making deep playoff runs. It's also not completely awful. And there are some pieces to potentially uh, get excited about and potentially some pieces that could make an impact uh, next year. So some of the guys that I think you know fans should be looking at beyond just the kind of organizational depth that I've already mentioned, uh, Jake Lecision, Jonas Rombier, like I said, uh, Daniil Miramanov, uh we saw Paul Cotter, Ben Jones appear uh, this past year. Guys like Zach Hayes and uh, Braden Pahal on the blue line. Guys maybe kind of a step higher than that in terms of pedigree. I think the two ones you look at uh, up front on forward, first of all, are uh, Brendan Bersan, who of course is the Knights' 2020 uh, first-round pick, and then Ivan Morozov, who was a uh, second-round pick 
in 2018 and joined the Silver Knights at just the very, very end of their season because he was in the KHL before and he was actually kind of idle for a while, but his KHL contract had not expired yet. So uh, he was kind of just twiddling his thumbs because his KHL season had already ended, but his contract did not. So he was not eligible to sign uh, his entry level deal with the Golden Knights and join the Silver Knights until uh, Henderson's literal last game of the regular season. And then he appeared in their two playoff games as well. But he is now stateside and he's going to be in the mix in training camp, as is Brendan Brisson, who ended his season uh, with the Silver Knights. And now we'll also have the chance to make uh, the Knights out of training camp. Seems unlikely specifically uh, for Brisson, but there are reasons to be excited about him. So let's get into these two guys. So uh, Brisson, son of uh, NHL super agent, basically Pat Brisson. I mean, his dad has a client list that includes names like Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. So Brennan Brisson uh, definitely learned from some, you know, good guys to learn from growing up was around some very talented people uh, as a kid. So he's the 2020 first round pick 29th overall uh, left shot forward, but he typically plays on the right wing because his one timer uh, is so, so good. If you've ever seen me kind of retweet uh, Brendan Brisson highlights into my feed, or if you followed the university uh, of Michigan feed where he played the last two years, uh, almost all his goals. It's just crazy. The number of goals that he scores that comes from, uh, that right circle because he has just this amazing one-timer that when he gets it off, he's blowing it by people, uh, specifically kind of overmatched Big Ten goaltenders this past year. Uh, so he had an awesome sophomore year uh, at Michigan. He played with a bunch of other first-round picks on a really kind of star-studded team uh, that made the Frozen Four and then lost. Uh, he had 21 goals and 21 assists in 38 games. Obviously, really, really good production. Uh, he also was part of the U.S. Olympic team uh, that lost in the quarterfinals, I believe. Uh, but he scored two goals in four games there. And then he got eight points in seven games with Henderson to wrap the year up. So all these sorts of different levels. Brandon Brisson is scoring, putting up offensive numbers. Specifically, I think the goal scoring is what gets you you know, excited potentially down the road for him with the Knights. Obviously, that one-timer is going to end up being a huge power play weapon in the NHL, which I'm sure is going to be music to a lot of fans' ears uh, in terms of where the Knights struggled uh, last year. I do think, though, it's fair to also temper some level of expectation of him just kind of stepping into the Knights lineup, you know, out of training camp and making an impact right away. He is still a very young guy. He's only 20 years old. He's going to turn 21 uh, actually, right after the season uh, ends, he's going to turn 21 on October 22nd. And there is still a ways to go with his game. Obviously, the goal scoring stuff stands out, obviously. And I think that's kind of the big sexy hook that gets people excited. But he still does have a lot of things to kind of round out his game. He still has to do some different things to become you know, a well-rounded enough player where he's going to be trusted to play, you know, decent five on five minutes in the NHL and not end up just being kind of a power play specialist kind of guy down the road. The Knights, I think, obviously would want him to be, you know, a top six sort of winger, a guy who maybe isn't driving play for a line, but is finishing a lot of plays for a line if he's got another playmaker beside him. 
And so to do that, you want him to work on his skating. You want him to work on his, you know, defensive responsibility and where he needs to be in the defensive zone. These are the kind of things that can take time for guys to pick up in pro hockey. And so I think having him get some more time in the American Hockey League, besides just the eight regular season games and two playoff games he got, might be the best thing for him to start the year. And I think if you're the Knights, you're probably hoping before the trade deadline comes around, you get some sort of an idea of what, you know, where Brisson is at. And so then you could potentially either give him an audition before the trade deadline. And if that goes well, hey, maybe he sticks around. If it goes poorly, maybe you look at adding someone at the trade deadline to kind of fulfill a secondary scoring role. Um, if that's what the Knights determine that they're in need of around that time. I think a good kind of example of a player that Knights fans can look at as to who kind of followed this similar path is actually Matt Boldy, who was a rookie for the Minnesota Wild last year. Uh, very similar kind of, you know, trajectory with Brisson so far, except for Boldy was a much higher pick. Uh, he was 12th overall. As I said, Brisson was about 29th. Whereas Boldy had an okay freshman year at Boston College, had a really, really great sophomore year, came out or signed with the Minnesota Wild, and then didn't make his debut until later on in this season where he came up uh, January 6th against Boston and then basically did not leave the Wilds lineup the rest of the way. He got in uh, 47 games this year and was a really, really a good impact rookie for the Minnesota wild, which they needed because they've got this, all this dead cap from buying out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, but they got 39 points in 47 games from Matt Boldy. Uh, I don't think that necessarily that's a realistic expectation for Brendan Brisson. I would not think that that's the kind of production you are going to get from him next year. If you're the Knights, but I think that's a path that you could think of, of, Look, Matt Boldy spent a lot of the early months of the season rounding out his game as a pro uh, with the uh, Iowa Wild in the American Hockey League. Then midway through the season, the Minnesota Wild give him a chance with the NHL. He plays well. He sticks. And that ends up being a very big part of the Wild's success uh, down the stretch as they put together a really good line with Matt Boldy and then one of their leading scorers, Kevin Fiala, on the other wing and experience a lot of success that way. So I think that's what, you know, the realistic expectations for Brendan Brisson should be next year is he still gets his feet wet in the pro game. He learns a little bit more about professional hockey down in Henderson. And that at some point mid season, if he plays well, maybe he can position himself uh, in line for a call up and then the Knights kind of see where they go from there. Now, the other guy that uh, I mentioned that, the Knights could look to for, you know, potential impact next year is Morozov, who's a little bit older. He's uh, 22 years old because he was picked in 2018. And he's already played against uh, men for a longer period of time. Well, Brendan Bassan just has those eight professional games under his belt, uh, plus those two playoff games in Henderson. Uh, Morozov's played in the KHL for a number of years now, um, including the majority of uh, not this past season, but the one before. He was in the KHL and was a little bit more than a half point per game guy. He spent a lot of time in the KHL this past year, was about a half point per game guy. So he's got a little bit more experience 
in pro hockey. Now, maybe, you know, he has to develop his game on North American ice a little bit. That's a very common adjustment that Russian guys have to make where it's a little bit more compact over here compared to what they're used to dealing with before. Uh, But he's a guy who's, you know, unlike Brisson, not necessarily probably destined to be a top of the lineup kind of player. He fits more of a versatile bottom six piece that, you know, provide really good defense, be on the right side of the puck and help, you know, drive things in a positive direction, you know, going the other way. He's got a reputation for being a very good defensive forward, a very good four checker. Like I said, about a half point per game guy. So not necessarily, you know, putting up huge numbers offensively, but kind of playing the right way in your bottom six. And for those reasons, I think that makes him a more natural fit to potentially have a chance to break camp uh, with the Golden Knights, especially because, as I said, he's got more professional experience. So you're maybe not as worried about the kind of seasoning he might require. Like I said, maybe just because he's playing in North America for the first time and he's still kind of adjusting to being on a new continent and everything, they might slow play him. I think that's a perfectly reasonable, you know, tact for the Knights to take. But I would anticipate he gets in the mix maybe a little bit sooner just because of his age level and experience. And if he could provide kind of inexpensive, you know, cheap bottom of the lineup forward depth for the Knights, that would be very, very helpful for them. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Um, one other guy that I think is going to be uh, interesting moving forward is Caden Korzak, who uh, is a, you know, a right-shot defenseman that was in Henderson all of last year, uh, made his NHL debut February against Buffalo. He could be an option you know, as he gets bigger and stronger to get more of a longer look in the NHL this past year. The Knights are going to be pretty you know, decently stacked with prospects uh, on the blue line in Henderson. Next year, uh, I already mentioned, you know, guys like uh, Pahal, Miramanov, uh, Zach Hayes that kind of provide good organizational depth down there. Um, but they're going to have a number of prospects uh, at Henderson as well. Peter Deliberatore, who is a good kind of puck moving defenseman that still needs to kind of add some weight, was down there this past year. It was his first pro uh, season. And then the Knights' uh, second round pick last year, Daniel Cheka. Uh, will be AHL eligible next season, even though uh, he just spent his last year in junior. That could be an intriguing guy to get a look at. But, you know, you have to imagine because he's going to be young on the AHL side, it's going to take him a while to build up the necessary uh, strength to get an NHL look. Um, Lucas Cormier, who is a guy that I know a lot of people are really excited about. He's just just wrapped up his junior career. Uh, he's 20 years old and basically put up video game numbers in the uh, Quebec Junior Hockey League with the Charlottetown Islanders. Uh, he's won back-to-back Defenseman of the Year awards. In that league, he just put up, um, like I said, absolutely crazy numbers this past year. You can look at some of the numbers I put in my story on him in terms of where he ranks in terms of you know the history of that league. But he had 81 points in 62 games. Uh, 33 goals, just absolutely crazy stuff. Uh, he is, though, on the smaller side for a defenseman. 
He's about listed at 5'10", 180. So he's going to need time to kind of get into a pro system and build up his strength and his size. I think we saw at the Knights training camp last year that he was not, you know, ready defensively to hang out with bigger pros, which is to be expected. That's not necessarily shocking. So I think a lot of fans are going to look at kind of his junior production and get excited about what he can potentially do uh, next year. I think you got to pump the brakes a little bit on that. I've shared the stat before, but you know, Dylan Coughlin, Zach Whitecloud, and Nick Hague, three younger defensemen that have all played a lot of games for the Knights. They all played about a hundred American hockey league games before becoming, you know, permanent NHL fixtures. Uh, defensemen just take more time to develop. They've got to learn how to, you know, have good gaps against pros. They got to know what they can get away with in terms of physicality, and they've got to build up their physical game as well. I mean, I keep mentioning, you know, getting bigger and stronger, but that's just is a real thing where, you know, when you're going from a teenager to playing against guys that can be in their late twenties or in, into their thirties, there just is a physical difference in how you have to defend those guys and the strength that is required to do that especially in front of the net, in the corners, all of that. So it just takes time. Uh, that's why a guy like, you know, Caden Korzak, who now has a year of AHL experience under his belt, has built up at least some of that experience, could be more of an option next year because he's already about halfway down that track where he has played 47 AHL games at this point and could be, you know, ready after getting a lot more experience next year, whereas, you know, Cormier, Cheka are still kind of starting from scratch. And so it's going to just going to take time until those guys are likely NHL ready to be contributors for the Knights if injuries or anything arise. The Knights can at least, as of right now, have plenty of NHL talent on the blue line, so they're not necessarily in a pickle to, uh, you know, rush these guys into the NHL anyway, and that's not how this team uh, tends to operate anyway. They slow cook their prospects more than rushing them. Uh, one other guy to touch on since I've talked about all this blue line guys is uh, 2021 first round pick Zach Dean, who was the 30th overall pick last year, uh, kind of projects as a solid all-around center. He had a very good uh, leap in offensive production this year. Like Cormier, he plays in the Quebec League, which is not the toughest of the Canadian major junior leagues, but it's still you know, a very good league. Um, he's a guy who's just so good in all three zones. That's what he's kind of known for. A guy with just a huge motor, big worth ethic. Oof, can't talk today. Good skater, really good defensively. You know, plays on the right side of the puck a lot. So he's coming along well. He's going to need uh, another year in junior hockey before he's American Hockey League eligible. So he'll likely come to, you know, the Knights Development Camp, training camp. But he's not an option to likely stick around this year. He needs a little bit more seasoning before he puts on the Knights uh, jersey in a game, official game, for the first time. Um, so those are kind of the prospects that people should know at this point. Like I said, it's an okay, not great, you know, outlook for the Knights as of right now. They've got some older minor leaguers like the decisions, Ron Beer, Manoffs of the world that can provide kind of immediate call-up depth next year or even bottom of the lineup depth that's pretty cheap if that's the way the Knights have to go with how uh, tricky their salary cap situation is right now there are some prospects with some more upside that have the potential to be part of the lineup at times next year 
you know, Brisson, Morozov, Korzak, but not a ton. And like I said, those are still not guys that you're expecting to be necessarily top of the lineup contributors, especially next year, long-term maybe Brisson turns into that. But next year, I think you're not obviously banking on getting it from any of those guys. And then we'll have to see moving forward how many of these prospects end up making a big dent in the, you know, the Knights roster, because as they kind of continue to move forward with their, you know, expensive and kind of star started roster with a lot of veterans, having guys come up that are young and inexpensive, just are going to continue to be more and more crucial for this Knights roster. And they need to keep populating their farm system. Obviously, it's going to be tricky this year because they're missing that first rounder. They're already missing a second rounder next year. We'll see if they part with draft capital this offseason or at this next trade deadline to make the NHL club better. We'll just have to see. But, you know, like I said, if you need more information on some of the other prospects that I was not able to touch on, you can go to reviewjournal.com, read that story, or just, you know, ask me some questions. Either my email is uh, bsgotz at, gmail, at reviewjournal.com. Or I'm on Twitter at Ben S. Goats. Hit me up if you have any Knights-related prospect quandaries. Uh, so flipping the page from prospects to coaches, the guys that might be ushering these prospects into the NHL, uh, it's pretty much here to report that it's pretty status quo out there on the coaching market. There's still not a lot kind of happening uh, the number of vacancies since the Knights fired uh, Pete DeBoer has actually gone up by one uh, because Boston fired Bruce Cassidy last week, which I'll get a little into in a minute. But, you know, Boston, Dallas, Detroit, the Knights, uh, Philadelphia, and Winnipeg, those six teams all looking for coaches. Chicago, Edmonton, and Florida all have interim coaches in place. And so if they decide to you know, turn the page, those could be three additional openings that need to be filled. Now, it certainly looks like in Edmonton, I think a lot of people expect Jay Woodcroft back after he led the Oilers to the Western Conference final. I think Florida, the odds are that Andrew Burnett returns after leading the Panthers to a President's Trophy, and then they got swept in the second round by Tampa. But it certainly the longer that that situation drags on, they haven't kind of officially announced what's going on there. I think there's at least some question mark to whether Florida is going to try to swing for a big name coach at this point, because they've got such a talented roster. So we'll see how many of those other teams join the party, but certainly already with six openings, it's pretty crowded. And so we'll see how the night ultimately fit into all of that. Um, but like I said, the biggest change was the fact that the Bruins fired Bruce Cassidy, who had been with them, uh, parts of six seasons and basically added another kind of top tier coaching name to the mix. I think Barry Trotz was kind of the bell of the ball uh, up until then. And kind of a lot of teams were waiting to see what Barry Trotz would do before making their pick. And I think all of a sudden Cassidy becomes kind of a co bell at this point because he had such a great run with the Bruins before they moved on. Uh, he's 57 years old he had a 672 points percentage in parts of six seasons with the Bruins. They made the playoffs all six years under him. They made the 2019 Stanley Cup final, lost in game seven at home to Alex Petrangelo and the St. Louis Blues. Uh, and if you go through 
the kind of numbers of the Bruce Cassidy tenure in Boston, the Bruins were second in points percentage, second in wins, 10th in goals per game, first in goals against per game, third on the power play, and third on the penalty kill uh, during his tenure. So basically top 10 in every kind of important results-based metric. I mean, he got that team to deliver outstanding results. And even though he had obviously a lot of talent to work with in terms of Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, uh, David Pasternak in terms of top line guys, Charlie McAvoy now on the blue line had a great goalie and Tuka Rask for a lot of that run. I think it's really impressive that, I mean, he kept it even as some of those guys either got older or got hurt or kind of fell off uh, even late into his tenure. I think this past year's team uh, with the Bruins was not necessarily one of their most talented teams. You had those kind of top, you know, line guys. You had Charlie McAvoy, but all of a sudden you've got, you know, a free agent signing in Linus Olmark and a rookie in Jeremy Swayman in net. I think the depth up the middle at center was not good for the Bruins. I don't think their defensive depth was particularly impressive. And he still delivered, you know, I think a 652 points percentage uh, this year and took him to a game seven against a very talented Carolina Hurricanes team uh, in the first round. So I think there's nothing necessarily that Bruce Cassidy did wrong uh, this past year. Now, you know, it was said by Bruins general manager Don Sweeney when he was kind of trying to justify the firing in a you know news conference that, you know, look, after basically almost six years of being under Bruce Cassidy, that his message was kind of starting to wear thin with the team that I think, you know, you look at that number one in goals against stat uh, that the Bruins had under Cassidy, that this is a guy that's pretty strict in terms of defensive discipline, in terms of the details that he expects his players to play with. And maybe, you know, after a certain amount of time that just wears on guys or grates on guys, like you hear, you know, somewhat similar things at times about Barry Trotz, that these guys are so demanding, you know, system-wise, that eventually players just kind of need a break or some sort of breath of fresh air after, you know, kind of being, you know, drilled into them to play a certain way for so long. Uh, There's also question marks about, you know, does Bruce Cassidy work well with younger players? You know, is he too demanding on specifically younger players with all the stuff I just mentioned in terms of the detail and defensive discipline he requires and do guys kind of great under that pressure. There's, uh, you know, the good example of Jake DeBrusque in Boston of a young winger who's, you know, showed promise at times, but then, you know, had a trade request and kind of the thinking is, okay, well, he just doesn't want to play with Bruce Cassidy. So he's, you know, has requested a trade. Now we'll see whether he still wants a trade uh, if a new coach is in place. Uh, the counter argument to that of like, did Bruce Cassidy, you know, be too hard on young players, potentially stunt their growth or anything, is that it's not like there's been a lot of young players that have left Boston recently and gone on to great success. And I think Charlie McAvoy is a guy that, you know, is 24 years old and is a young player that has excelled under Bruce Cassidy. Uh, he, I think, I can't share yet uh, where he ranked on my Norris Trophy ballot because that hasn't been announced yet the winner. But I can say that Charlie McAvoy, I think, was on my Norris Trophy ballot. And he's only 24 years old. So he clearly developed under Bruce Cassidy. And a lot of the guys that have not developed, or you would say has not developed under him, 
uh, have not exactly gone on to other places and had stellar careers. And, uh, you know, Don Sweeney, the general manager, uh, his track record in the draft, I think most people would say, is not all that impressive. Um, and so it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation of did Bruce Cassidy not develop some of these younger players properly? Or was he just not given young players to develop or at least good young players to develop? And so is that more of a feeling of the front office uh, versus the coaching staff? And maybe is Bruce Cassidy being blamed for the fact that the Bruins just haven't done a good job of bringing in young talent uh, over the years? I mentioned obviously at the top when talking about the Knights farm system, that the Bruins have considered one of the worst farm system in the NHL. And that's been true for a couple of years now. So is it, you know, Bruce Cassidy's fault necessarily that he's not exactly making a great uh, salad to try to use a, you know, good uh, clean version of a, a metaphor is he, he's not making good chicken salad out of not so good ingredients that he's being provided with. Uh, it's a good question. It'll be one that the Knights and I'm sure a lot of people will be asking themselves uh, as this kind of coaching carousel keeps spinning. Cause I expect Bruce Cassidy to be a big name on a lot of these lists, I think it's also important to point out that uh, Bruce Cassidy was a coach uh, one time before Boston, and that was in Washington for 110 games under one George McPhee, who, of course, is now the Knights president of hockey operations. Uh, so Cassidy was the Capitals coach from 20, uh, 2002, I should say, 2002 to 2003. Like I said, he only lasted uh, 110 games. He had a 500 points percentage. Uh, did not go well. But that is now almost 20 years ago, and you wonder if that connection is going to come into play at all as the Knights uh, continue on this search. Like I said, it's now basically about four weeks since the Knights fired Pete DeBoer. We don't exactly know uh, how soon they're going to come up with uh, DeBoer's replacement. General Manager Kelly McCrimmon, you know, at the post-firing news conference was... Pretty upfront of like, hey, this is going to be a lengthier process and we're going to be kind of thorough in our decision making. And so far, it's hard to argue uh, that that's not uh, what's taking place here. It really does seem like the Knights are exploring a lot of different options and kind of taking their time. And we'll see if at any point in the near future that they do ultimately land on a decision of who's going to be the third bench boss in Knights history. Uh, stay tuned to ReviewJournal.com for all the potential updates on that. Uh, we'll keep you guys posted as to what we're hearing, what we think might end up happening. And we'll see if at any point in the near future the Knights do decide to get someone into the building. Uh, like, There's not a huge rush now. The draft is July 7th and 8th, and then free agency starts a month from when I'm recording this Monday morning. Uh, it'll start July 13th, so maybe they want a coach in place then just to discuss you know, pros, cons of the players on the roster, players they could go out and trade, players they could target as free agents or, you know, potentially in deals, hockey trades with other teams. Um, but until something happens then, this is going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. We are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Uh, also, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you podcast. Please do this one. Uh, we would very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you again real soon.
Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.